your friends in Christ. In this world, we run into many kinds of obstacles and problems and shortcomings as we attempt to carry out the things we need to do or think we want to do in this world. You may get sick. Get sick at inopportune times. Oh, I had this big plan, and maybe it's just a short 24-hour bug, but it interferes with your plan. Or you could get sick, like with COVID. Maybe be laid up for weeks, really interfering with everything that there is to do. Or you may have an accident. You may be simply stubbing your toe, which simply delays you from carrying out what you want, or... You may be in a major accident that lays you up for weeks. Uh, we may come to realize, hey, I don't have the ability. I don't have the skills. I don't have the gift set to, to carry this out. I don't have the education. I simply can't do this because, because of those shortcomings, those lacks. And then finally, there are people around us that throw up roadblocks for us doing the things we want to do. They, uh, they may uh, alienate people we work with, which is going to stop things from happening. They may criticize us. They may uh, uh, take away the resources if they're in a position of power that we need. So we run into all kinds of things. This is a, you know, it's a sinful world. These are the things we run into. What, how do we handle those things? How do we face those things? Well, how do the people in this world face things like that? Some people, they just start yelling, don't they? They get angry. Yell at other people. Um, they, others, maybe sulk. And just quit. Just go off in the corner. Can't do it. Give up. That's all I can do. Others think, oh, if I just try harder, if I just keep trying harder, eventually... I should be able to do this. I should be able to do it. Now, some of that, you know, especially trying harder, maybe it is a good thing. And yet there is one thing that the people of this world don't know about at all, that we do, that Jesus can show us our, how to get through these things, how to face difficulties and shortcomings. Now, Jesus' answers aren't going to give us an answer for everything. Every question we have, a lot of things we face, there isn't oh, just one correct answer, one correct way to do it, but he will lay out uh, what we should do, how we should face it, where our power comes from, and that's what our text for today, another story from Jesus' life, leads us to see Jesus shows us how to face shortcomings. We turn now to Luke chapter 6. Jesus, he, that is Jesus, went down with them, his disciples, and stood on a level place with a large crowd of his disciples and a large number of people from all Judea and Jerusalem, as well as from the coastal area of Tyre and Sidon. These people came to listen to him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled by unclean spirits were also cured. The whole crowd kept trying to touch him because power was going out from him and healing them all. 
Last we encountered Jesus was when he caused that large number of fish to go into Peter's net. So it started to break and they had to take two boats to haul in all the fish. He called Peter, James, John uh, to follow him that moment and they left all that behind. Since then, now Jesus has been working with his disciples with him, or at least some of the disciples. He called at least one more, Matthew uh, or Levi, the tax collector from a whole different line of work to follow him. Maybe he called some others during this time. But he had been teaching. He had been healing. Uh, he, he was quite busy. And there started to be a large number of people that were following him. And then it seems he gathered uh, some of these people that were really believing in him, came with him to the top of a mountain. And there he chose 12 of these men to be special followers, to be disciples who would later become apostles. Apostle simply means sent out ones. He would train them, teach them, then they would go out and, and do the work that he was doing of preaching. And news of his miracles and his teaching continued to spread. Um, now he comes down from the top of this mountain to a level place where there's a place that he can comfortably teach the large number of people that have gathered around him. Now, this, this teaching we're going to start here in Luke is very similar to the one we find in Matthew, which is called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, whether these are two versions of the same sermon or two different occasions, we don't know for sure. Uh, sometimes people call this the Sermon on the Plain, but it was a flat place. It wasn't necessarily down on a plain. It could have been on the side of a mountain where there was simply a place big enough to gather. So it's possible this is the same incident. And we remember, Matthew was writing for Jewish Christians, and Luke was writing, he addressed this to Theophilus, a, a Greek man. So he was writing to an entire different group of people with a different background. So they would each choose different things that they thought were important, or the Holy Spirit through them thought was important, to include in their version of this sermon, if, if indeed it is the same one. Or it could be two separate occasions. Jesus certainly taught the same things on different occasions too. Um, this is not important for us. What we do see is that people had come from a large area. Uh, they came from, you know, we're, we're up here, we're still around the Sea of, of, sea of Galilee. Uh, let's see if I can get over here. There. Yeah, my pointer doesn't want to go where I think it should go. They're you know, in that general area. But down here around Jerusalem, this is where Judea is. This is where the bulk of the Jewish people lived, going back to the time when they returned from the exile. Remember, the northern tribes had been taken into exile. But a lot of these Jews then moved up into this region of Galilee. It was a rich farming area. That's where Jesus did a lot of his ministry. So, but people came from all the way down here. It was quite a trek. Or, and then some of them came from the region of Tyre and Sidon. This is really outside of the place where the Jewish people lived. There were some Jewish people there, probably some non-Jews also. So they came from a wide area to gather, to hear Jesus, and to uh, 
be healed. They came for both reasons. Um, and it says all of them were healed. All of them were healed. That's an amazing thought. Now, that included those who were troubled by unclean spirits. Now, this is a special category of people suffering that came to Jesus. It's something most of us, if not all of us, probably are unfamiliar with. I mean, do any of you know someone that's been possessed by a spirit? It does seem that, that the devil uh, and his evil angels, the devil is simply the leader of all the evil angels that rebelled against God, that at Jesus' time he worked especially hard trying to you know, overcome Jesus' work. And he would send a spirit or multiple spirits to inhabit a person and control that person. And had to deal with different effects. Sometimes they would appear to be crazy. Sometimes they would have special powers and abilities, able to say things that they wouldn't otherwise know, uh, do things they wouldn't otherwise do. Uh, it, was a, it was a special thing, and it was, it was horrifying uh, in a lot of cases. Like I said, in our area, we just don't seem to see that. That doesn't mean it doesn't go on. See, one of the ways the devil can get his way is to convince people that he doesn't exist. Now, that would be probably the way he works with a lot of Americans, right? If he convince people he doesn't exist, then he can have a freer hand to do things and get people to do things that they shouldn't do because that's not the devil. He's not around. But the other way is through this devil possession. And there are parts of the world, I lived in Indonesia, heard stories from some of the villages that would make your hair stand on end of things that they reported of evil spirits inhabiting people doing. It was, it, it was chilling to hear this because it's still very much uh, real in, in some places. Um, but here we see Jesus has power over these devils, not just diseases, not just disabilities, but de the devil himself. And he cast them out. Um, in short, people came from all over, and they were healed. All of them were healed. That must have been an amazing experience. Probably thousands of people, none of them with any disease, sickness, disability. Jesus had healed them all. It was kind of a special occasion. Um, so, but we see here from this, we see that Jesus shows us that he heals diseases and disabilities and, and other things. Jesus heals diseases. Now, he's done this healing. You might say in this, in this way, these people are kind of really prepared to listen to him in a, in a special way now. And so he goes on with his teaching. So he lifted up his eyes to his disciples and said... Blessed are you who are poor, because yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, because you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, because you will laugh. Now, this section presents some challenges to us in interpretation. How do we interpret this? One thing we have to remember is uh, Scripture interprets Scripture. God does not contradict himself, so we have to take various things in Scripture and help them shed light on this section. 
Now, for example, blessed are you who are poor because yours is the kingdom of God. Does that mean simply by being poor, everybody that's poor is in the kingdom of God? No, that's not the case. On the other hand, just because you're rich, you're excluded? Well, we know of rich people in the Old Testament in particular, Abraham, uh, David, Solomon, Job, just to name a few. They were very rich, but they were in the kingdom of God. Um, Matthew records that when Matthew, when Jesus said this, and Matthew records it this way, blessed are those who hunger, or blessed are those who are poor in spirit, and blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So what we see here is this refers to people who are spiritually poor and spiritually hungry. And that helps us to understand this then, uh, starting with blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor, for they will have the kingdom of God. Now what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Uh, it means being like the tax collector who went to the temple to pray. Remember the story of Jesus where a Pharisee and a tax collector went to the temple to pray. The Pharisee stands up where everybody can see him and says, God, thank you, I, you know, that I am not like all these other people, like this Pharisee over here. I give a tenth of everything to you. I help the poor. I worship regularly. I am great. And Jesus says, this man did not go home justified. He was not, he thought he was rich, but he wasn't. The tax collector on the other hand went into a corner, wouldn't even look up to heaven, and just beat his breast and said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. He had nothing to bring. And what did Jesus say about him? He went home justified. He went home possessing the kingdom of God. Now, if he would have waited in the temple and heard the blessing of the priest before he went home, the priest would come out and do a blessing. It was the same blessing you'll hear at the end of this service. He could go home and he would be lifted up. Knowing he was accepted by God, knowing he had a place in God's kingdom, he went home spiritually rich. Blessed are the poor, because theirs is the kingdom of God. And then there's the spiritual hungry. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, in Matthew, Jesus is obviously hungering for righteousness. Realizing you don't have any righteousness of your own. We are sinners when we come to God. We don't have any righteousness the Pharisee believed that uh, <clears throat> uh, he had righteousness. He, had, he thought he had kept every part of God's law. Oh yeah, I got, I'm righteous, God. But he was looking only at externals. He wasn't looking at his heart. God looks at the heart. And there was sin. Um, and, this, and Jesus says, this is where all unrighteousness starts, in the heart. All sin starts in the heart. And the, the Pharisee was not looking at that. Really, this way of you know, trying to keep all the external laws 
to become right is it's like all the other religions of the world try to get right and eventually you will be uh, you will get back to God uh, you'll get in God's favor or get to nirvana or whatever they want to call it um, being spiritually hungry is when you realize you don't have that um, an example of that is Nicodemus who came to Jesus early in his ministry he was a Pharisee so he was taught these things, but he must have been having some doubts in his mind. He came to Jesus looking for teaching about goodness. He had a spiritual hunger. And he learned then by coming to Jesus that he can be spiritual righteous not by the things he does, but simply by believing in Jesus as your Savior. It was in that speech to Nicodemus, that conversation with Nicodemus, that Jesus says, you know, God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will not <coughs> perish but have eternal life. That's in that conversation. And Nicodemus had come to him hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And we know from later accounts that Nicodemus did come to believe in Jesus because after Jesus died, he was there helping take down Jesus' body, getting him ready for burial. He had brought tens of pounds of, of uh, ointments and spices for the before they placed him in the grave. So he went away from the conversation with Jesus, now spiritually satisfied because he was hungering for righteousness. Finally, there are those who weep because you are weep now. You will laugh. Certainly in this world, there are lots of things to weep about. You know, there are, there are those times when we lose a loved one. That's certainly a time to weep. There are disasters and violence in this world that cause a lot of hardship and a lot of death. Something to weep over. But this is not what this is talking about. Again, this is spiritual weeping. You know, like when you realize you've made a big mistake. You've done something that's hurt people around you. Or you've done something that's, that you realize is harming your relationship with God. What's the reaction to that? Weeping, sorrow, contrition, we, we call that. Um, it's a time of weeping. Now, there's an example of Peter. Peter, you know, had denied while knowing Jesus three times with an oath because he was afraid of being, you know, caught up in being arrested like Jesus was arrested. And through there, there was a rooster that crowed twice that Jesus had already told him what was going to happen. And then as Jesus was being led from one place to another, he turned and looked at Peter. And what was Peter's reaction? He realized that he had done something terribly wrong. And it says he wept bitterly. That's spiritual weeping. Another example is in the Old Testament. And... Uh, uh, Ezra. You know, the people of, of Judah were taken into exile in Babylon for 70 years. Then after Persia came to power, the king of Persia let them return and rebuild the city of Jerusalem and the temple. Ezra was, was a leader. He was a priest. He was a leader among that group. And they went back and they did this and the city was going strong. He returned to Persia for a while and then he came back. And what he found was 
people have been disobeying God's law. In particular, they were marrying uh, people from the nations around them that practiced corrupt things, that were leading them astray and leading them away from God. Because God had told them, do not marry those people because they're going to drag you away from your faith. And so Ezra, he was praying and making confession at the temple. And he was weeping. And many of the people gathered around him. And we read that uh, they said, they wept bitterly and said, we have broken faith with our God. Here's another example of spiritual weeping. Now what happened to these people? Yeah, they will laugh. It says they, would, they were gathered back to God's kingdom. Uh, Peter was forgiven, restored to his position as an apostle. The people of, of Judah, they were forgiven, and they made plans to right the wrongs that they had been doing. And it's then that God picks you up, forgives you, and says, you are still my child. You are my child. You are part of my kingdom. And we can even laugh. So the second truth we can see is that Jesus shows us his bless. He blesses those who sorrow for sin. And then we go on reading. Blessed are you whenever people hate you and whenever they exclude and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and keep uh, leap for joy because of this. Your reward is great in heaven. The fact is, their fathers constantly did the same thing to the prophets and not about them. But woe to you who are rich because you are receiving your comfort now. Woe to you who are well-fed now because you will be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now because you will be mourning and weeping. Woe to you when all people speak well of you because that is how their fathers constantly treated these false prophets. Now, this is not so much facing our own shortcomings, but it's facing difficulties that we run into in this world, facing people persecuting us, the people who oppose us, the people who ridicule us for our faith, uh, who seek our ruin simply because we trust in Jesus. Now, Jesus told his disciples several times, like even here, that they would face persecution as they carried out their work. He was going to send them out as apostles, but you're going to be persecuted. The fact is that almost all the disciples probably died because of their faith, died martyrs' death. Um, and Jesus himself, of course, he's the perfect teacher. He was a perfect man. He had a perfect relationship with people around him, and yet he was perfectly kind, he was perfectly nice, but yet... He was hated, he was persecuted, to the, until finally he, they executed him on a cross, one of the most gruesome ways of execution ever invented by uh, mankind. Um, so Jesus is telling us here, not only to accept this persecution, it's part of your life, rather he tells us, rejoice in that day, and leap for joy. Why? Because you're looking forward 
Your reward is in heaven. And then also he talks about, you know, look at those people around you that, that are persecuting you. They will receive their reward. May not look like it now, but they will. Um, the Pharisees, and many people today, feel they have what they need. Woe to you are rich. Um, but they don't. Now some people today, they simply reject the fact that there is an afterlife or that there is a God. Ah, there's nothing. There's only this life. Uh, I read about a man recently who's starting in his 20s. He worked hard to always eat the most healthy things he could find. Never eat any junk food. Never eat anything that wasn't good for him. He exercised faithfully. He did all those things to keep himself healthy because he was looking to get to be 150 years old. That scientists are saying that yeah, we can develop ways of living longer. It might you know, be able to get to 150. So he was working at this. Well, if that's all there is, that's what you work for, isn't it? But Jesus says, yeah, those people that have that, think this is the life, is, you know, this is what I've got to concentrate on, they have their reward. They are comforted now, but they won't be in eternity. Um, others believe that in some way they can please God. Please the God that they confess, that they can become close to him, that they can become good enough that God will accept them. Um, you know, this is the hope of, of Muslims, for example, that we hope that God will look on favor with us. We've tried hard, and uh, maybe he'll look on favor with us and take us to heaven. Um, Buddhists, they strive for getting rid of the three psychological evils of greed, desire, anger, uh, uh, greed or desire, anger, and delusion. Those, those three. If you get rid of those and work hard at it, then the next time you're reincarnated, you will go into nirvana, be absorbed into the Godhead in some way. Fortunately, that's not true. They have to live with what they have now. They have their reward here and now. Um, look at it in a different way. They, have, they think they have what they need. They're not recognizing their spiritual hunger, that they don't have righteousness. Um, they try to cover it up with laughter now, but, yeah, what do you laugh now? Because you will be in mourning and weeping. Maybe not now here on earth. Maybe. But maybe not. But in the last day when they face their maker, when they face the judge of all whom they've rejected, then there will be real mourning and weeping. They speak well of each other. They speak well, but this doesn't do any good. So the truth is, you see that Jesus shows us our reward in persecution. Even though we're being persecuted, there's a reward in heaven. Look at that reward. What now? What do we do with this knowledge about what Jesus has showed us? Like many people coming to Jesus in our text, we have many kinds of shortcomings. Physical limitations, illnesses, ailments, uh, it might be a mild cold that lasts for a day or two. 
It might be a disease that lasts that we're going to die from, terminal cancer. It might be a finger that has a hitch in it. Yeah, my middle finger, sometimes it just doesn't bend properly. That's kind of a minor thing. Or it may be you were in a car accident or something and, and you're disabled and will not be able to walk for the rest of your life. Uh, <clears throat> now, what do we do? Again, we can try different doctors. We can fret and stew. We can get angry. Or we can turn to Jesus. Go to Jesus like the people in our text did. Although we can't do it physically, we can go to Jesus in prayer. Now, we lay out before Jesus all the things that are wrong, what we think he should do. Now, he knows all these things, but he has invited us. He wants us to come to him and to talk to him and to tell him and to ask him for these things. He has promised that he will answer us. Um, and that was a special situation at that time where Jesus healed all the people there. He normally won't do that because... He knows that's not necessarily what's best for us at our particular time. Because um, we don't have any specific promise from God about healing. We have a specific promise he's going to forgive our sins. We can count on that. He's going to take us to heaven. We can count on that. You're going to heal of your diseases? No. But we know that he will do what is best for us. Um, we know that, for example, he loves us. He gave his life for us. We know that he has the power to heal. He showed that in this text. So whatever he does for us, we know that's what is going to be best for us. Um, there is an example of Paul who had something he called a thorn in the flesh, something that he thought interfered with his ability to preach the gospel, that he thought if I got rid of this, I can be a much better worker for God. And he prayed to him three times. We heard that in our, one of our readings. Three times he prayed to God, take this away. But the Lord answered, My power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. So what, did, what was Paul's response then? He says, I'll be glad to boast in my weaknesses. Yeah, sometimes God wants to show that he is powerful and that we are weak by letting us suffer some particular weakness, some particular ailment. He may also to put us in a special place where we can learn something or where we can help someone. You end up in the hospital, able to talk to people around you that you couldn't otherwise talk to. And introduced to Jesus, perhaps. We simply need to learn to trust our Savior. That he will answer our prayers and heal us in the way that is best for us. So, yeah, we learn. But now we go to Jesus in prayer and one more way. In his word. Reading his word. It is in his word, hearing it, reading it that we hear what Jesus did for other people, what God has done for other people, what he has promised for us. And in that way, our faith is strengthened so then we can accept whatever it is that he wants uh, is best for us. So just coming to church and paying attention and, well, having a pastor that preaches God's word because that's the only place you're going to get strength 
is a way to face your troubles and your shortcomings. Uh, now, in the blessings in which Jesus starts his teaching, we see that he's showing us our spiritual shortcomings. He shows us we have spiritual shortcomings. We are, we are poor. We, are, we should be hungry for righteousness. Um, we will weep. Uh, this is how he wants us to approach him. In humility, in contrition, in sorrow for sin. We feel poor and beggarly. We feel hungry for righteousness. We weep over the sins we have committed. Um, and if we don't feel that way, maybe we should take another look in God's law to see, because God will show us there in your heart there are things that aren't right. Maybe there's priorities you're mixing up, uh, and you learn to see your shortcomings and then come to him in, in contrition. Um, and you will be blessed in doing that. You go to Jesus in repentance and faith. This is another way of dealing with those shortcomings that we have. Then comes those people that persecute us. Um, not really a shortcoming, but it is the difficulty we face. There are people in this world that are just going to hate us because we believe in Jesus. We don't understand it, but it's, it's just part of the, what this world is because there are such sinful people around us. They hated Jesus. They're going to hate us. And, and they will exclude us and kick us out of things and uh, make things difficult for us. And it hurts. And the more you show your faith, the more you live as a child of God, the more people are going to do this. Hopefully not to the point of you know, Jesus being crucified on a cross, but it is there. Um, this is the way things are in this sinful world. But in any case, Jesus tells us, you have a reward in heaven. Rejoice and leap for joy in situations like that. It's a sign that you are living your life in a praise of your God who, who, who saved you. So we can go to Jesus Remembering uh, your reward, your reward in heaven. So what is Jesus showing us today about how to face our shortcomings and other difficulties in this world? As you experience sickness and disability, turn to Jesus. Pray to him. Look to him in his word. He, he can and does love you. He will heal you according to his good purpose. As you face your sins and failures, uh, yes, weep and feel poor and hungry for righteousness. You will be blessed through your sorrow and through the forgiveness he gives you. And as you forget, face persecution, remember, you are not alone. There are others that face this and you have a reward in heaven. Therefore, Rejoice and leap for joy. Your reward is great in heaven. Amen.